All right, good night or good evening. Good night makes it sound like we're leaving. Good night. Off to a rough start. So I asked my son um, this morning um, over breakfast what he wanted me to preach over, and he wanted me to preach over Jesus and buttons. I I promise you this, we will cover 50% of that tonight, and at some point we'll talk about Jesus as well. Um, So this week, um, I hope this week found you well. I know um, a lot of times uh, weeks can uh, leave us either thrashed or rejuvenated, but I do pray that this weekend found you rested and that... uh, Trinity Church is, is a refuge or a place where you can just restart your battery, restart your motor for the week ahead. Um, this week was unique for me. I had the opportunity to, to do a, a public speaking in a venue that I don't get to do a lot. So I did a public speaking uh, or, or I taught some at the Dallas Children's Advocacy Center, uh, which was the first uh, for me in, in a series of just talking about uh, the importance of keeping our children safe, the importance of of guarding our children against what this world can throw at it. And it, it, it had been a long time for me, and went, uh, or it's been a long time since I've spoken in front of a crowd that wasn't y'all. And uh, it, it was very weird to be up there and not know the names and the stories and the families and the children and, and what we've been through and where, where God has driven us and where God has guided us. And it, it made me uh, very thankful, and I don't want to ever take for granted the beauty uh, that is Trinity Church, and, and frankly, uh, one of the uh, biggest honors that has ever been bestowed on me in my adult life is just to be able to teach the gospel in front of people that I genuinely love. Uh, I've had the opportunity to teach in a lot of different places, um, none of which have meant as much as this room does to me, just because I, when I look into your faces, as hard as it is sometimes for me to preach and look at you and not giggle or laugh or, or take it too seriously because I know all you so well, it is so reassuring um, where I can, I, can, I can preach the gospel, I can teach uh, what God has put on my heart, and then I can also just see um, the people that I know love and support that gospel and love and support me and that church. So all of that to say, I'm thankful for you, and it is always a pleasure to stand up here. Um, So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to continue through our study of Genesis. Uh, We wrapped up chapter 1 last week, and we're going to dive into Genesis chapter 2 this week. A little bit of a recap of what we saw. We saw um, our sovereign God, the creator of everything, the sustainer of everything. He spoke creation into being. So in verse 1, he does this big overview of he created everything. He spoke everything into existence. And then we see that that God, our God, is, is the one God who who was uh, forever and will always be. There is no beginning to our God. There is no end to our God. Our God has always existed in a triune community with himself, a loving triune community um, that needed nothing and lacked for nothing and did not create us because he had an us-sized hole in his heart, but created us purely out of his grace and love. We also talked about last week, Jamin brought that we we were created in the image of that God. So God spoke us into being. He spoke uh, man into being. He spoke man into being into his own image. And how important that is uh, for us to understand because of how applicable that is in our everyday life. Because if we cling to the fact that we live in an Imago Dei doctrine, that we live, that God has created us, he's created all peoples in the image of him, 
that will drastically change how you treat all peoples, right? So if you if you think, hey, I'm created in the image of God, but that person sucks, then then you've misunderstood uh, the doctrine of uh, imago dei. And and the beauty the beauty of our culture in in this day and age is we do have people fighting for supremacy. We do have people saying, no, I'm the best. No, I'm the best. No, I want this. Uh, we have uh, a nation divided. We have uh, you pick a topic, and I could post it right now on Instagram or or Twitter or Facebook, and I could start a riot, right? I could, I could just hit out some hot sports opinions. I could literally say a sentence about what I think about the leader of the free world. I could say, hey, I think fill in the blank about the President of the United States, and I could have people gnashing their teeth, right? Regardless of what I said, I could choose one polar opinion or, or the opposite, and I could have people hating each other, right? I don't even want to hear the words out of your mouth because of, of what you think or what you believe or what you cling to. And the beauty for us as children of God is that's nonsense and we can cast it out. Amen. Because we know the people, regardless of how different they are, regardless of how different they look, regardless of how different they believe, they were made in the image of God and they deserve the love of God and they deserve the love of God's creation, which is where we step in and we say we love you because we're no better than you. We're no worse than you. We are equal to you. We are creation of God. What I love about the Imago Day is it spits in the face of the idea of supremacy. It spits in the face and says, you think you're better, or believe it or not, the beautiful thing is you think you're worse, you're not. You were made in the image of a beautiful God. I don't have time for this. I don't know why I'm re-preaching your sermon. But I love preaching on, on the, when we set out and said like, oh, this is where we're going to teach. This is where we're going to teach. I've never been a guy that likes to cherry pick. Like where you land is where you land. But there was a little sadness when Jamin landed on the Imago Day, And I was like, ah. I'll get you back someday. You're going you're to preach for July and you're going to like it. <laughs> I hope that's not true. That would make that really bad. I hope I'm preaching for July now that I've said that. So, so those are some of the beautiful things that encapsulated Genesis 1. And then today, we're going to move through Genesis 2. For time's sake, we're not going to read all of Genesis 2. I'm going to recap some of Genesis 2. And then we're going to land in Genesis 2, uh, uh, verses 18 through 25. So we see the beginning of Genesis 2. And, and for the longest time, when I was growing up, um, my, my parents always made me do this read the Bible in a year thing. I never came close to completing it, mostly because my heart wasn't in the right place. But as we have come to learn as a congregation, some of those are the fact that I just couldn't read very well. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. I like, yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, Genesis 2 always always threw me because it's like, hey, uh, it seems like we're, we're jumping back in time, right? Like there was creation. Then we go back to the, the re, restatement of creation. Then we're going to talk about uh, the creation of man. Then we're going to jump back into the, the restatement of creation. So I want to walk us through some stuff so we're all on the same uh, we're all, we're all on the same page and we can land where we need to land tonight. So really Genesis uh, chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 is just a restatement of the creation of day. So he, he lists out um, days 1 through 7 and then at the end of verse 3 he establishes rest. We see, we see a God create everything that has ever been created from his word. He spoke into creation in the first uh, few verses in chapter 2. Um, and, and the seventh day he rested. And that's a beautiful thing. He's establishing the Sabbath. So the word Sabbath doesn't really get brought up into Exodus until we're walking through some of the Mosaic and Levitical law of, of the importance of, of that religion. Um, but what he is doing, he 
is he is he is explaining through his his actions and his imagery of the importance of rest. He is calling the seventh day holy. He is saying, "I have created all things; it is complete, and thus I am resting." He is not resting because he is tired. Our God does not get tired. He always was, always will be. He he is not a person who sleeps or or gets uh, uh, drowsy. He is resting because of the beautiful and and the completeness of his work. He is resting because he is establishing a holy day. He is establishing a Sabbath. And then we move on uh, through Genesis 2 and we go through verses 5 through 14 and we see a restatement of the creation of humanity. We see the establishment of Eden. You see some of the Eden was a literal place. A lot of people think there's a lot of metaphors throughout the chapters in Genesis, but we believe that the inherent word of God is true. And, and there are chapters like Genesis 2 uh, that give us that, that standing point, that, that, that confidence, because there are actual rivers named in Genesis 2. Two, uh, that a few of them are still here today. So you see the Pishon, the Gidon, the the the, the Tigris, and the Euphrates, and he's giving a geographical layout, um, leading us to the Garden of Eden. He is establishing a perfect place. Inside that perfect place, he names two trees: the tree of good and evil, and the tree of life. And then after that, in verses fifteen and seventeen, God uh, lays out the instructions for the life of Eden, and that's why. Um, and there's so much importance in those few verses because he. Is establishing um, heaven on earth. He's establishing uh, the Garden of Eden, where where sin knew no bounds, where where there was going to be beauty, there was going to be harmony, there was going to be peace, there was going to be shalom, where God was going to walk in the coolness of the day. He's establishing His kingdom on earth, and and really giving us the, He's giving us a taste what life will be like when we say Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. We're talking about the new Eden. We're saying we want the new Jerusalem, we want the new Zion. Christ is giving a taste of that in Genesis two when He is creating Eden. He's, he's establishing an order and a plan. He's giving Adam instructions that you will not eat of this, you will not eat of that, you can eat of this, you will you will be um, the ruler and governor of all things created. I've put man at the top. You will, you will, you will garden and you uh, will rule over other creations in, in an orderly, planned out way because we serve an intentional God. And there's a lot going on in the beginning of Genesis 2. But where we're going to land tonight is Genesis chapter 2, 18 through 25, where he does the institution of marriage. And I'll be upfront with you. I started teaching uh, for church uh, a long time ago, and this is not my first time to teach on marriage. And I remember the first time I taught on marriage was in a Sunday school class uh, at my dad's church, and I was 22, and I don't think I was married, and if I was married, I'd been married for months. And I remember thinking, this is just silly. Like, there's no one that's going to listen to me. Um, I need to be married at least a year before I know what I'm doing. Um, yeah, you can laugh at that. I've been married almost a decade. I've been around right a decade now, and I feel just as silly teaching you um, the, the, the complications and the beauty of marriage as I do then. The only difference is I've seen it play out. And I've seen um, the order and creation of God's institution of marriage have so much beauty and purpose. And that's really what we're going to find tonight. Um, This is not going to be a makeshift marriage counseling. This is purely going to be uh, Tim speaking truth from the Bible of what God created and what God intended. So if you would stand with me, uh, we are going to read. Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one around you. It's also going to be up behind me. Bear with me as I read out loud. 
Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make for him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creatures, that is its name. And the man gave the names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast on the field. But for Adam there was not a helper found. There was not uh, found a helper fit for him. Verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed it up and placed it with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Verse 23, Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she has been taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his woman and the sorry and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Amen. You may be seated. Let me pray over us, and we're going to dive back in. God, thank you for your holy word. God, thank you for just the opportunity we have to study it. God, thank you for the institution of marriage and, and just the order and direction you've laid on our life. God, we would be lost without that order. We would be lost without that wisdom. God, I pray for the next few minutes that we would dive into your holy word. We would cast out all things that would be hindrances or all things that would, that would get in the way of us communing with our creator and our sustainer. I pray all things in your holy name. Amen. Yeah. All right. So, um, in verse 18, we see for the first time that God has created something, and then He has said, it, it is not good. He says, it is not good that man shall be alone. Just so we have a good idea of where this is happening, this is happening in, in day six of creation. Um, we see this first appearance of not good. This is not sin entering the world. That's going to happen in Genesis 3. If you want to see that, that's going to be next week. But right now, God is just saying simply, this work is not complete. I've created man. I've created beasts. Um, and, and man has no companion. He has no helper fit or suited for him. And, and the beauty of this, and we see the creation of woman, and we see the word helper and partner and companion, and, and there's a beauty there, and there's a dignity there uh, where we find helper, right, or, or companion. And too many times uh, we have not fully understood what that means, and, and, we, have, and we have not fully understood at the uh, behest or to the downfall of the dignity of women. Right, so um, I'm not here to get on soapboxes. I'm going to get on a few tonight, but normally that's not my thing. But where you see a lot of our understanding of, of women, we, we find it in Scripture, and a lot of that is surrounded by beauty. But there are times where uh, we half read Scripture or we half understand Scripture, and we view um, women as helpers, and we think helpers are a lot like assistants or secretaries or maids or, or fill in the blank, and we laugh and we would never not in any way say that out loud, right? It's 2019. We know better. We would never, that's not, that is so out of bounds. But um, there are a lot of people who've been raised and, and, and grown up with the understanding that uh, man was created first and superior and woman was created uh, secondary, almost like an afterthought because the man needed some help. 
And the man needed to be uh, maybe guided in some lesser thinking or some lesser doing. And I, I know that if we took a test and we said, is the woman a lesser being than man? We would all not, we would not answer that, right? We would check the other box. We would say, no, no, we were the other thing, whatever the other option is. But I want us to, <laughs> you, you, we joke, but um, society has brutally misunderstood the value of women almost since the creation of, of social um, norms or social beings. So like, I don't know when we started to get off the mark, but we got off the mark and we veered hard, hard off that mark for a long time. And we're coming back, but we're not there yet. So I don't know if this is just because I have been blessed um, to marry a woman who is maybe the smartest person I've ever met or the fact that God has recently blessed us with a beautiful, beautiful, uh, solid girl named Cora. She is. She's a punk. She's a biscuit with eyes. But I love her. Um, but... In no way are women um, to be viewed as lesser creatures because women are, are made in the image of God. Um, and to understand this helper is, is more of a life companion, more of a, a puzzle piece meeting. The fact that you were not meant to be alone or God said it was not good for man to be alone means that there is an incomplete um, process being formed out and now God is forming, God is completing, and then He is resting and knowing that it is good. And, and we joke and we laugh, but I refuse to raise my daughter in a society or I refuse to place on my daughter or my wife um, social norms because we've misunderstood that. Like if you look at um, what sells, what are, what are women viewed to be like, what are, uh, what are the most important or most successful Instagram uh, uh, pages for women, they are not touting their, their smart uh, ability to problem solve. They're not touting their ability to be equally educated. They're not touting their physical strengths. They're not touting anything other than what society has said. This is what we mean when we say helper. When we say helper, we say you need to have the house together. You need uh, to be um, seen uh, but not heard. Like we, we have as a society a long time ago decided that we were going to place a, a definition on helper that is not biblically backed. And I am proud to be the leader of this church that in no way agrees with that norm. Some of the strongest, smartest people in this room are women, and they lead from the front. They do so beautifully, and they do so with all uh, power, authority, and encouragement from this local body. We say that, yes, you are a helper to man, but you are equal. You are different, but you are equal. God has created you for specific tasks. God has created men for specific tasks, but there is no such thing as a lesser being. There are people created in the image of God. And I know I'm stepping my toe in some water where they're like, Tim, you take one more step and this podcast is going to get real popular real quick. <laughs> Whatever gets those butts in the seat, dog. <laughs> so like I said, I'm not trying to say, hey, you're all misogynist. But I'm telling you, we live in a world that doesn't know what to do with some, um, some scriptures and, and, and some uh, beliefs that have come out from the church. And I want us to be a church that speaks truth. Because when there is confusion about religion, when there is confusion about faith, truth unconfuses. 
When, when there is, I don't know what we should think about this, or I don't know what we should think about that. If you speak biblical truth, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean it's going to be palatable or they're going to like it. But there is a peace that comes from biblical truth. So when you can confidently say, yes, my wife has, has different skills, says she has different strengths than I do, but we complete each other, and you don't have to, to worry if that's going to fall in line or out of line of what we biblically believe, because we know that every person in this room was made in the image of God. And we can see that on how woman was created. How was, how was the woman created? She was taken and made out of the rib of the man. God could create a woman in any way, right? We have a God that is, that is not bound to this rib exercise he did, this procedure where he puts him to sleep. And it sounds almost surgical, right? In my mind, it is surgical. When I was growing up hearing this, I thought, like, this is biblical anesthesia. And then God puts him down, and there's, like, just some rib out, and then woman comes up. Like, I don't know why. That's where my brain always goes. But God could have done this in any way. He could have snapped his fingers and it could have been done. He spoke everything in crea- into creation and for this, here's a methodical process that he's leading us to because he wants us to understand the importance of woman. There's a beautiful quote that says, She was not made of his head to rule over him, nor was he made from his feet to be trampled by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be loved. There was a rib taken out of man because woman was supposed to be right there by his side. And this is really important. That, that this beautiful uh, uh, synergy, 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 I should have done a mouth exercise. When I get really excited, I make up words, I'm sorry, you'll get used to it. Um, and I try really hard not to make up anything else. Um, so uh, there's, there's this beautiful imagery of God saying, I'm leading you to the well so you can take a drink, right? I don't want you to be a misogynist. I don't want you to be confused about where women fall and, and where how marriage is supposed to work. So I'm not going to just snap my fingers and create women. I'm going to slowly and methodically show you the place of marriage. I'm going to show you how life as, as companions, life in holy matrimony is supposed to be. So, so he takes the rib and he forms woman and side by side there is supposed to be this, this walking together, living out life. In verses 24 and 25 we see that once the man and the woman are together they are to leave their family and they are to hold fast to each other. And I didn't understand the importance of that until I got married and I lived life with somebody. But that's really the only way you're going to survive. Because life's going to come at you fast, especially in a marriage. We're going to get into that later. But life's going to come at you fast, and your only chance of survival is to hold fast. And if you don't hold fast, you've misunderstood the partnership. God knows you weren't supposed to be alone. That's not an indictment on singleness. I'm not, I'm not saying that, that uh, this person's going to complete you. You were completed solely by Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. But that same, that same God, that same Creator, that same Savior has a plan for you. He completes you and then makes out a plan of how you're going to live your life. And you're going to hold fast to that person and then be in one flesh, which we're going to break down in a second, which is code for sex. It is. And like I feel so like, man, I don't know how many of y'all grew up in a uh, conservative, traditional Baptist church, 
but this guy did, and I feel like I'm about to blush at any moment because I just said <laughs> sex in church. Like, but God given right, we're gonna flush all of that out. But I remember, like, just the the uh, I was born and raised, and and honestly uh, taught on blue carpet. Then I went to go plant this progressive church in Oak Cliff, where we continue to teach in blue carpet. Um, and there's a lot of dogma. There's a lot of just Baptist blood flowing through me that I love. I'm in no way bashing that. I love how I was created, formed, and taught. But uh, teaching about marriage, teaching about the the place and where we find husband and wife and teaching about uh, the God-given right of sex does still make me blush and I don't care. Um, So just go with it. And if I just giggle here and there, just let's just move past it. As a congregation, let's say, Tim, we understand your shortcomings and we're going to, we're just going to truck this thing together. So God created marriage with intention and purpose. Um, I've muttered through some of that intention. I've, I've misspoke some of it, but I hope you've gotten the gist. I know I get excited when we're talking about Scripture, but I hope you see the intentionality that is surrounded in Genesis 2, where we see things could have been done a million different ways, and we serve a God who had the power to do anything and everything, and He specifically did it this way because He knows better. He knows how we learn because He created us, and He wants to draw us. He wants to lead us to where He wants us, and He's going to do that with Scripture. So God created the family first. It's the first institution He created. He created the family and marriage. That was the first institution created. After He created uh, creation and the beings and, and the creatures and the sky and everything, as far as what He created with humanity, the institution of marriage was first. And that's important to know because that was also the first institution attacked. So scripture shows us that Adam was on the earth and he was in Eden before Eve was created and you never see Satan appear. Enter in Eve, enter in the institution of marriage, the creation of family, and Satan gets in there because he knows that together, holding fast to each other, we're harder to take down. And he wants to break that up. Adam, walking around by himself in the trees, didn't didn't entice Satan, didn't intrigue Satan. The second the family was created, you see Satan walk in. And I'm going to break that down next week in Genesis 3. I hope you all come back. We're going to talk about the fall. We're going to talk about the doctrine of sin. But I don't want to lose sight of the fact that the second that, that marriage was there, the second family was created, that Satan attacked it. Because so the family goes, so society goes. Where You see, the things that have failed in this society are at the feet of the family. Amen. Everything that, that has gone wrong in our society, and I know that's a, that's a hot sports opinion everything, but I'm telling you that you can look in this book and say God had a plan and an order for a way life should be, and the people who messed it up and how it got messed up is just a microcosm of what we see as far as sin in 2019. And where we see sin in th- 2019, and a lot of where we see the failings of our society is because our families are fractured. Amen. We have completely gone away from how the, the, the institution of marriage and the institution of family should be lived and run, and because of that, we see brokenness. I, my job is surrounded by brokenness because of the family unit. I work in uh, I work in child abuse in, in a pretty large city. It is it's under the umbrella of family um, family crimes, and I'm telling you right now, 95 percent of what I do is at the hands of broken homes. 
and I don't have an answer for it, and I don't actually know if there is an answer for it this side of heaven, but I'm telling you there is a cause and causation. There is a, this is how things are supposed to be, this is how things really are in a broken world, enter in Satan, and that's why we have the brokenness and depravity of man. But there is still beauty inside biblical marriage. And there's two things that I want us to hit inside uh, the creation and the institution of marriage. And the first thing is companionship. Lasting covenantal marriage, holy matrimony. Matrimony matrimony means the state of being married. As we have probably learned, I don't know where this message finds you. I don't know how your couples met. I don't know all of your stories, I know some of them, but I can tell you right now, um, dating a long time or living together prior to marriage is not marriage, right? There's a difference. I don't care how long you live together. I don't care if you shared a bank account, if you shared a house, whatever. You were not married until you were married, and it's a game-changing thing. Right, like, and for me, I didn't believe that. Right, like, I, I, me and my wife didn't like live together at long times or long periods. Um, but I was like, well, I know her, right? I know her inside and out. I know her family. She knows my family. Um, we went to college together, uh, so on and so forth. And I really thought marriage is really just going to be this long sleepover thing. Like, I thought we had it, right? We didn't fight a lot. We were on the we were on the same page with almost everything. We we're getting married super young, which is great. Um, uh, I, I don't know why I said it like that. I really did. Like looking back, I think like at 21, man, 21 year old me, man, I'm, I'm just thankful that she put up with me. Some of the ideas I thought I had about life, some of the ideas I thought about just marriage or or how things should go, were utterly silly. I don't know a better way to biblically describe them than just ignorant. Like, I thought, like, this is marriage. Everyone talks about marriage being super hard. How hard could it be? I got a pretty chill wife, and she is. She's super chill. Other side of the pillow. Um, she, she is humble. She's intelligent. And we, we, we do life well together. But it, it's so much different once you're married. Um, there's there's a, a biblical linkage. There's a, a God calling two to be one. What, what God puts together, no man tears apart. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Those aren't just romantic words. That is God spelling out for humanity what marriage will actually be like. Um, we did The first thing we did as a married couple is we got bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh tattooed onto our ribs. And at first I just thought, it makes sense, right? Like bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. I'm doing it on my ribs. If you see me, I'm a person of imagery. I really like tattoos. I have a lot. This just makes sense. And, and walking through this sermon, it didn't dawn on me that there was a connectiveness there. It just wasn't a good tattoo idea. It was the fact that we serve a sovereign God who said, no, this is as close as you can be with a human on this earth. When I say bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, it means there is a there is a oneness, there is a connectedness that cannot be torn apart, and it's beautiful. It's an opportunity to exercise faith, exercise hope, love. There's a maturing and sacrifice. There's an understanding of service. And inside of, of all of that matrimony, there's a God-given right and opportunity uh, for sex. And I think um, we joke, and I was joking earlier, sex doesn't actually make me get giddy. But it is, understand, it is important to understand uh, the importance of why sex is meant for marriage. 
So as, as the, the believing men and women we are, the sons and daughter, we believe that God created man, God created woman, and that is his idea of marriage. For man and woman to, to unite, and once they are united, to, to partake into that God-given right of sex, and through there multiply, and through that enjoy each other's companionship and become one flesh. That is what marriage is to the believer, and there's no exceptions, right? I don't care if it's 2019, 1980, or whatever holds the future. That is marriage. Um, And you can try to change it. You can try to call it something else. You can try to be progressive or understanding, but you are perverting the the image and the plan of God. But there's a reason that sex comes with rules. And the reason that sex comes with rules is because sex comes with power. Sex outside of the marriage can destroy your life. Again, my job. My job is surrounded by people who don't understand the power of sex or, or the power of family, the power of that one flesh, and it has destroyed them. It will destroy you. Sex misunderstood can take you down quicker than any drug. It can take you down quicker than any vice out there because the idea of that companionship outside of marriage is one of the go-to plans that Satan has to ruin you, whether you're married or you're not. Satan loves coming at you um, when you when you think you're married and you think you understand the power of companionship, you think you understand the power of holy matrimony, and you think you understand the power of sex, and you don't, and it can hit you like a brick wall. So many families are torn apart because of the misunderstanding of that power, the misunderstanding of it's just a text or it's just a Facebook message, it's just an Instagram like, it's just this and that, and I want I want the glory and the companionship outside of marriage and it and is doomed. Sex comes uh, with rules because sex comes with huge power. It is deeper um, than, than the flesh, right? It is holy. There is something beautiful because it was created by God. Um, and I know for a lot of times, uh, as far as when you're dating, and, 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 and this goes for past sex, but just understanding how you date. So I'm looking around, like I said, the beautiful thing about knowing my audience is I'm not necessarily speaking to any people that are single. Um, but how we date, how we view people is really an inclination of how we understand this scripture. It can, it can show us, do we actually believe the word to be um, what it is? Like example, like you don't, you don't marry for potential right there's no such thing as marrying potential that is that is a fool's errand because you're not God you can't say like look at what I can do for this person you're not called to save anyone you're called to walk alongside them it's Christ's job to save them it's your job to walk alongside them and point them to Christ it's not your job to change them. It's not their, your, God, your, uh, your job to sanctify them. That is the Spirit's work. And through you walking alongside and understanding the power of marriage, the power of sex, the power of companionship, you can, you can find that holiness. You can find that peace um, inside the rulings and the confines of marriage. Lastly, the thing that we can get from, from biblical marriage is just an illustration of Christ and the church. You see in Ephesians 5, um, verses 22 through uh, 33, you see Paul write to the church of Ephesus and just walk them through what biblical marriage looks like. And by doing so, you can't help but be led to the connection between Christ and the church. 
Paul writes in verse 22, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, and even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and himself, and its Savior. So a lot of times we just pause there, right? Because that sounds good. Uh, The church has also perverted that um, scripture uh, to no end where we have said submit. Submit seems like this overlord, uh, authoritative thing where my wife is going to do what I say, when I say, and how I say it. And that's not marriage. That's not what God's calling you to. And that's literally you reading the first verse, liking what you're hearing, and stopping. And that's the most dangerous thing you can do in Scripture. Because we read stuff. We read it through the lens of what we actually want to hear. We say, hey, wives, submit to your husband. That gives me authority and power. I like authority and power. Authority and power makes me happy. This, this could be, I could be on, I could be down for this. You have to submit to me. How many times have, have you ever yelled to your wife, submit to me, and it worked out well? <laughs> and the last thing you need to do is submit to me, the Bible says. Because then you've messed up and you've, like, you know, you heresy. Because um, the Bible literally does say that, but you've heard what you've liked and you stopped. Because the next passage goes on to say, Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. What did Christ do for the church? He died for it. So I don't know if you're going to have the heroic opportunity to die for your wife in your lifetime. But I guarantee you, you'll have an opportunity to die to yourself for your wife today. You have the opportunity to say, it's not about me. It's not about what I want or what I need or what I deserve. It's about the betterment of the person God's called me to love and walk alongside to until He calls us home or He makes a new heaven on earth. There's there's a beauty there that you have a companion to do life with. Because we've already said, Satan's coming at you. Satan does not want healthy homes. He does not want healthy husband and wives. And he does not want healthy children watching that marriage flourish. Because when children watch marriages flourish, they are called to and yearn to do the same thing. It's the same reason that if you grow up in an abusive household, there's like a 92% chance that you're going to beat your wife if you watch your mom get beat by your dad. It's how it works. You emulate what you see. And if our kids watch us grow up and and love on our wives and and submit to our husbands and love our wives as Christ loved the church, they will only have one concept of marriage. And that concept of marriage is contagious because it's God's institution. It's God's plan and sanctity for the companionship He has created. And here's the beautiful thing about kids. They are going to do what they see. But what, what a biblical marriage um, should show kids, and we're, we're, we're guilty of this at Trinity Church. I'm guilty of this. I'm the leader of guilt on this. But we're especially guilty in 2019 that we think our kids are just insanely great, and they've hung the moon, and for some reason, they're on the same par as our marriage. Like, what's important to me is my wife and my kids, and they're all equal. And in nowhere does it say that in the Bible. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't love your kids, and we bend over backwards for our kids. This church is founded on the idea that that room down there is not the next generation of Trinity Church. That is Trinity Church. You just can't read yet. <laughs> like, that, we don't believe that we're just going to keep them drinking Kool-Aid and cookies until they're ready to be in big church. No, we have men and women who are pouring into our kids saying, we are going to raise them up. But the second my son thinks he's on par with Casey Joe, he's getting knocked down. Right, the second he thinks that he's more important than the biblical marriage, or the second I think that, or the second my wife says, I'm going to put the needs of our kids above the needs of my husband, is, is where we've gone all sideways. And we see that in our society where we say, we just stayed together for the kids. That makes no sense. 
You are called to love each other, and through that, you will stay together, and through that, your kids will see that, and they will emulate that, and they will build up stronger and stronger families. Instead, we say these kids are the thing we want. They're just they're not the byproduct of a beautiful marriage. They're why we got married. That makes no sense. You're setting yourself up for failure if you think your kids are more important than your wife. And I know I'm, I'm, I'm now I'm like three toes in the water where I have some, I, I get that. I, I get there is a balance there where our kids, we've been called to steward them well. We've been called to point them to Christ more and more. All I do as far as the weight and anxiety on me is my pointing my, my kids to Christ, right? My kid, I have, a, I have a three-year-old who would conquer this world if I let him. And all he's going to do is watch dad, right? He watches dad. He told my wife the other day that he was busy because dad's busy. You know what I'm that will break you? is when your three-year-old tries to brag about being busy. As, as an imagery of how I have to watch myself in general, my, my son likes to, when I get home, I take off my cowboy boots. Uh, born and raised mesquite, wear cowboy boots. Chill out, hipsters. Um, and he likes to put uh, his shoes in my boots and then do whatever dad does. That's the definition of you better do what God's called you to do because people are watching. You better treat your wife, you better treat your husband as God called you to, to treat them because there are people watching, whether it be your kids, whether it be other people you live with. You are a, an example or an imitator of God. You're an imitator of what you believe, and I pray what you're imitating is God. So I got on like nine soapboxes tonight, and I appreciate it. All of you have been very faithful, you've been very attentive, and I thank you. But I want you to understand the beauty of marriage is just not simply you having a date spot. And the beauty of marriage is just so you don't get lonely. You will get lonely without, uh, you will get lonely without your companion. And I pray you do have a date spot, but that's not the point. God has created something to show you His plan for redemption. God has created something that He is saying, "Hey, what you have with your wife is what Christ has with the church, and what Christ has with the church is redemptive. It is transformative. It will save the lost and bring the believers to the throne of God." Adam was put to sleep, and his side opened that we may have a wife. Jesus died on the cross, and his side was split open that he may have the bride, the church. Yes. There is imagery there. There is beauty there. There is truth there that we can proclaim with loving our husbands and wives the way God has called us to love them. Let me pray over us. We're going to sing another song. We're going to worship. Everyone hug their their, their, their spouse and their better half a little longer than you normally would. And don't write me an email about how I don't care about kids. I love you all. God, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity we have to just study your, your holy word, God. I'm just thankful that we are able to, to look at our everyday life and say even, even from the beginning, even in Genesis 2, there's application that was written for 2019. There's application for our Monday, our Tuesday, our Wednesday. You are not a God of happenstance. You are not a God of hypotheticals. You are a God that created. You are a God that sustains. And you are a God that will walk alongside us showing us the way that you create for us to be redeemed and transformed. God, I pray for your progressive sanctification in all things. God, I pray that the Spirit would come in this room and I pray that the Spirit would move. I pray that we would feel that Spirit. I pray that we would walk alongside our husbands and our wives and they could feel the encouragement and the love that we are on the same team for the same mission. Every day the mission is the same. Follow Christ. God, I'm thankful that we have companions and and 
and the love of our lives to walk alongside us as we walk to your will for your glory. I pray all things in your name. Amen. Amen.